Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Amen. Good morning. If you have a Bible, open it to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read verses 14 through 18 in just a moment. As you're finding that, let me just say, praise God for Jonathan and Chelsea Mosley and their lovely girls and Kings Hill Church. Brother, thanks for being with us this morning. Man, we love this guy. Uh, he's not really from, he's from Columbus. Cross Point isn't his home church, but we kind of claim him anyway. Because the Lord knit our hearts together a few years ago, and man, I'm so thankful for you, brother. You know, if you are here this morning, or you're watching uh, by live stream, and you're part of Crosspoint, or you're just somebody that is trusting in Christ, and you're thinking about the end of this year, and maybe being generous with some excess that you might have, or you're thinking about giving sacrificially, I think one wonderful way, a wonderful place for you to give to a wonderful gospel work would be for you to give to Kings Hill Church. And so if the Lord is maybe pricking your heart right now to do that, uh, you can email us at the church office, get a hold of any of the pastors, and we can put you in touch with Jonathan, and that would be a wonderful investment of your resources where the work of God is happening in a very difficult place. It's very expensive to live in Boston. It's very expensive to do ministry in Boston. And the Lord has strategically placed this couple that has a very firm and warm-hearted understanding of the gospel there. And I'm, I'm just so thankful for them and for the fruit that will continue to grow as a result of their ministry. So maybe the Lord is moving on you to come alongside them, and uh, if that's the case, find him after church and get his information or get in touch with us, and we'll put you in touch with Jonathan. Praise God, brother. Thank you for being here. You look really dapper too, man. <laughs> My goodness. He had a cool little hat on this morning too when he walked in the building, and I, uh, I want you to see that too. So hang around until after the service when Jonathan leaves. We come to our 15th and final message in our journey through 2 Peter. We're going to read verses 14 through 18. It's Peter basically wrapping up, saying goodbye. He's written two letters. And I think that, in a sense, these five verses, 14 through 18, serve as a kind of summary of his message in 2 Peter. And so I want this message to be a kind of summary of our time in 2 Peter. And then we have the great privilege on the first Sunday of the month, as is our custom, to come to the Lord's table and receive the Lord's Supper together. Let me read verses 14 through the end. Peter writes, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, 
which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Well, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, thank You for this day. Thank You for December 6th, 2020. You have ordained this day and You have ordained it for the good of all of Your people that You've called to Yourself in eternity past. Nothing that's happening today or will happen tomorrow surprises you to the least. You have ordained whatsoever comes to pass and you have ordained it for the good of your elect and ultimately for the display of your glorious nature. We rest in that great truth. We rest in this passage that you have for us today to study and to think about and to apply to our lives. Help us, Lord. There are marriages in this room that are hanging by a thread by your sovereign grace, by the gentle blowing of your Holy Spirit. Would you breathe life into those marriages and rescue sinners from destruction? There are young people that are making decisions about their future and who they are. Lord, blow away the fog that this culture so easily fills our minds with and clarify for a young person in this room today the beauty of the gospel. Lord, there there are a whole host of things that we are plagued by and concerned with and anxious about. Give us the sweet grace of focus. Build up your church and call any unbelievers to faith in Christ this morning and give them what you require of them, the sovereign gift of a new heart and faith. And do it all, Lord, for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we look at what I consider to be just five cumulative encouragements about what it means to grow in grace from Second Peter, I want us to notice the imperatives in this text. I see four of them. He tells us in verse 14, he says, Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. We just talked about the coming of the Lord last Sunday, and he's continuing on that exhortation to be diligent. We talked really about eschatology, the end of all things, last week, and we can get caught up in, in, in the theology of the end times and miss the, the personal eschatology, the personal nature that whether or not Jesus comes back in our lifetime, we will all die, very likely, and we will go to him. We will stand before him, and every man will stand before him, every woman will stand before him, and Peter is wanting us to be ready for that day. He's saying, be diligent. And then in verse 15, he says, count the patience of God as a gift. It's for our salvation. Don't despise the patience of God as a theme throughout Peter's letter. 
It's for our repentance, not for our apathy. We need to be reminded that God in His patience is waiting. He's holding back. He's he's being utterly patient with the world, utterly patient with His people. Jesus says in John 6, verse 37, that all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And so any chaos that we, seem, that we see that seems to be reigning in our world today is somehow under God's sovereign providence and is being worked together either to woo or to judge the world. And God will not lose any of his people. And so we should count that patience by God, not as God not being aware or interested, but in his mercy as he gathers all of his people. And then Peter says in verse 17 that we should take care. There's a world that wants to disciple us. I so appreciated what Jonathan said that the, 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 the universities, particularly in Boston, he was speaking about are in a sense discipling our nation in these truths that run 180 degrees in the opposite direction of biblical truth. And Peter here is telling his readers and he's telling us in this 21st century to take care that we are not carried away by the error of lawless people, that we are not discipled by our culture, that as we live in this world as Jesus has called us to, that we do not become of this world. There is an urgent call to take care, to be aware, to have our head up and realize what the world is trying to do to us. And then in verse 18, this exhortation, but grow, grow. And really, this is, I think, what the whole letter is about, summarized in the final verse. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So how do we grow in grace and knowledge? I think that's the point of this letter that Peter's writing. How do we grow? Five thoughts about growing in grace as a summary of Peter's teaching in his letter. Five thoughts about growing in grace and knowledge in Christ. Number one, strive to know and understand the gospel thoroughly. Strive to know and understand the gospel thoroughly. Peter starts off with that in, in the first chapter. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. The second part of that verse he's speaking. He's really identifying who he's writing to. He's writing to the church. And look how he distra- describes Christians. He says, To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the way that we obtain this right standing, it's given to us as a gift, and it's by the righteousness of Jesus. We sang about it just a a moment ago when we were singing that song, Thank You, Jesus, that the wrath of God, the wrath of a holy and righteous creator God is satisfied in the righteousness, the sacrifice of God the Son who laid down his life on the cross to absorb the wrath on our behalf so that all those that have been made alive and are trusting in him would be received, would be reconciled, would be forgiven of their sin and receive the righteousness of Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. I was talking to a sister in this church a few weeks ago and she said, that she has been a Christian for many years and she and her family recently joined the church. 
And she said, I, I just am so thankful for the gospel-centeredness of the life of this church because although I believed the gospel and although I've been trusting in the gospel, it was just kind of fuzzy. It wasn't really on my mind. And there's, there's been a clarity for me as I've been part of the culture of this church that I know and I understand the gospel more thoroughly. And we should, we sh- this is Peter's message, this is the message throughout the whole Bible, that we should be people who don't ever stray away from the gospel, but we fight to know it and understand it and apply it to our lives thoroughly. And when I say understand it, I don't mean to say that it is complicated. I think, actually think it's quite simple. The good news of the gospel is that God is holy and that he has created us and we've rebelled against him. And because we have rebelled against the holy God, we deserve his punishment, which is separation from him forever. But God, in his kindness, sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life. God the Son in the flesh laid down his perfect life to absorb the wrath of God be victorious over sin, death, and the grave, and now calls all of us to trust in him. That's the good news of the gospel. But we can know it one moment, and as we go through the week, we can forget it so easily. And this striving is that we would know and preach the gospel to ourselves. And in those moments of temptation, in those moments of doubt, in those moments when you're alone with your head on your own pillow, wondering whether or not it's true for you, you need to know and strive to preach the gospel to yourself. And we fight sin with with the gospel. We, We learn to love one another more graciously with the gospel. And I think that's the message all throughout Second Peter. Secondly, Peter, I think in his letter, tells us to work hard on your spiritual life. Now for some Christians who I think don't understand the gospel quite fully biblically, it's not to say that they aren't believers or going to heaven, but it is to say I think it's a short-sighted understanding of the gospel, is that they have this view of the gospel as if it's all grace and no grit. Yes, we are saved by Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, not by our works. But the grace of the gospel empowers us, it enables us, it enlivens us, so that knowing that we have been reconciled to God, knowing that we will be with Him forever, knowing that there's nothing that can snatch us from His hand, knowing that He's made us alive, knowing that He will finish what He has started, enables us to, in our salvation, do the hard work of becoming who God has promised we already are in Christ. It's the fight of sanctification. And it's As I read my Bible, if I'm wrong, you can correct me. I don't think I am. As I read my Bible, it is hard work. And the good news of the gospel, the exhortation here in 2 Peter, is that we are to work hard on our spiritual life, and that is a great joy. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. He says in verse 5, For this very reason... And the very reason he's talking about the the salvation by grace alone and faith alone and Christ alone, for this very reason, because of what God has done to save you, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. And he goes on. Look now, drop down to uh, verse, verse 11 there, I think it is. Verse 10, he says, Therefore, brothers, chapter 1, be all the more diligent 
to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. In other words, if we are a Christian, he makes us alive. We can fight. We can strive. We can struggle to grow in Christ. Now, as we strive, as we work hard, we need to avoid two misunderstandings. One is that somehow working hard at the Christian life, I mentioned this just a moment ago, is at odds with grace. No, grace empowers effort. And the second thing is that somehow working hard is a kind of drudgery. No, grace-fueled effort, I think, at least as the Bible presents it, increases our joy. It doesn't diminish it. And we are to work hard. We should make every effort. Be diligent to make our calling and election sure. So here's a few questions that I'm asking myself that I want to ask us. What in your life, as a result of our time in Second Peter, needs to change? What or who needs to be cut out? What or who needs to be added in? What habits need to be broken? What disciplines need to be adopted? There are no shortcuts. You don't grow spiritually by occasionally attending church and having some sort of Holy Ghost pixie dust sprinkled on you. You, you actually, because you've been made alive, you've been enabled to work. You, you were... We were made to work. Adam was called to work in the garden even before the fall. And so work and effort is not a result of the fall. It's not part of the curse. It's part of God's good plan for mankind. And we are to work. We are to strive. Here's a thought before we move on to point number three is that just a pastoral concern I have. And we've had many, many discussions about this in our elder meetings, in our staff pastoral meetings throughout the week, is concern about what this global pandemic, the effect that it will have and is having on the spirituality, the sanctification, the grit of people that we are responsible for in this church, you. Now, I am not going to wade into the waters of opinions about the shutdown, about masks, about social distancing. We can have that discussion later. But here we are, and each of us in this room and listening online has different convictions about whether or not we should gather and how closely we should be connected with other people. And I, again, do not want to get into those convictions. I want to say that wherever you are on that map, Regardless, you still are called by God to strive to be part of a body, to grow spiritually. And I fear that one of the schemes of the enemy is that on the other side of this, will you be better off spiritually? Or will you have allowed yourself to drift and will you be like one of those, you know I love those nature shows, like those little antelope that somehow get separated from the herd. Who does the lion chase? He doesn't run into the herd. He'll get trampled. He chases the one that is by itself. Now, there may be reasons and there may be legitimate and good reasons why you have been isolated from the life of the local church. And hear me, dear ones. 
I'm not getting into matters of conscience right now. Regardless, though, if you find yourself in one of those places, you all the more have to fight. Don't let this end with you being pulled out by the riptide of spiritual isolation. What are you going to do about it? It reminds me sometimes of people that have been hurt in churches. And they carry this, they let church hurt be the most identifying characteristic about them. And I often think about people like that, that someday they will stand before the Lord. And remember we talked about how the Lord will judge. He will even judge believers about whether or not we have built with wood, hay, and stubble, or precious gum. I mean, the Lord is coming to judge. And will, will what we have built been built out of hay that will perish on that day? Or will what we have built been built with precious metal and will it last, will it be useful to the Lord? And I sometimes think about people who go around in their life, believers, that just have excuse after excuse. Well, you know, this church did that. Well, that pastor, blah, blah, blah. Well, I didn't like this. Well, you know, it was hard. Well, you know, okay. Welcome to world after Genesis 3 has fallen. Nothing's perfect. Nothing's perfect. Is that what you're going to say? You know, Jesus, you know, I mean, I don't know. It was hard. You know, the summers were hot, and then we had the lake house, and then, you know, we had to go on vacation, and my kid had soccer travel club, and, you know, it was hard. And sometimes Brad, he yells. I don't know, I don't like, Crosspoint was good for a while, but now I just want to, whatever. And is that going to be your thing when you stand before the Lord for your relative lack of fruitfulness? Well, is now, similarly... (laughs) Is it just going to be, well, you know, I just kind of, I just got out of a habit. You know, it was just hard. I was just being, I mean, just, here's my point, pastorally. Hear me, dear ones. I'm not chasing, I I am chasing you. I'm not scolding you. I'm saying don't let the enemy by use this pandemic to pull you out to sea with a kind of spiritual excuse. Now, if you, if you need to stay home, stay at home. But I say to you, dear brother or sister, fight! Fight! Fight to strive. And do whatever you can. And people in this room, don't, 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 don't let yourself get lazy. American Christians, by and large, are lazy. Work hard, man, and working hard is joy. It's joy, man. You know when you, when, you, when you do something and you look back on it and you say, yeah, the lawn is mowed, the tree is chopped down, the gutters are clean, the pool is skimmed, the sidewalk is pressure washed, the car is fixed. You know how that feels? It feels good. Beloved, the message of 2 Peter is that we would be diligent. Are you a diligent Christian? Are you a diligent Christian? Am I a diligent pastor? Oh, may it be so. Truth number three, strive to saturate your life with the scriptures. I, I think that's all throughout this passage, but look, this, this book, but look at 2, uh, look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, verses 2 through verse 21, I think this is one of the most important paragraphs maybe 
in the New Testament for our understanding of the Bible. Let me read it again, verse 16. For we did not, this is Peter speaking about his own experience during Jesus' earthly ministry as one of the disciples who witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus, who was transfigured and glorified before Peter and James and John, I believe. And so he says in verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, meaning his transfiguration. For when, we received, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter's just recounting, remember from that sermon, he's just recounting his eyewitness account of the transfiguration of Jesus, and this was well before his crucifixion and resurrection. Jesus was transfigured on the mount there and had this conversation with Moses and Elijah that Peter saw. But look at where Peter now goes with this. You think that would be a, and it is, a glorious spiritual moment in the life of Peter. But look at where he goes. Look at his logic now into verse 19 and following. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And so what Peter, I think, is saying, this is what we concluded, at least I concluded, and I think I'm in good company in the history of Christians who've interpreted this passage, is that he is saying this prophetic word, meaning the Old Testament, and I did some work to help you understand how that also applies to the New Testament, that we have this word from God, written word of God, from Genesis to Revelation, which Peter describes as more fully confirmed, even more reliable than his his first person eyewitness account of Jesus's transfiguration. So the Bible is even better than personal experience. It's more trustworthy. Verse 20, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So how do we get the Bible? God has intended, he's guaranteed that what we have in every jot and tittle of the Bible is given from him to men, and they were carried along in the uniqueness of their own circumstances and their own personalities, so that what we have in the Bible is what God intended to say to us, Therefore, it's holy, it's inspired, it's breathed out by God, it's without air, it's sufficient, and it is authoritative. Imagine if, uh, if the most powerful person in the world, whoever that may be, wrote you a personal letter and just said, hey, uh, Johnny, Susie, um, I know who you are and this is what I want you to do you'd at least read it, right? I mean, I can remember getting letters from Jennifer uh, when I was in the Army, deployed in Ranger School on the other side of the world. And it's not like I would just, I would just like, oh yeah, I'll read a couple sentences at the beginning and hey, let's put that in my rucksack. I might get to it. <laughs> I'd pour over that bad boy 
every little word. And, and as, as wonderful as Jennifer is, she's just a person. <laughs> the God of all the universe has written a book, and therefore we should three strive to saturate our lives with the Bible. Look, we're coming up on this January, which is a time when people make commitments. You don't have to wait until January 1 to start a new Bible reading plan. Start the habit now. And this is really what I think the heart of 2 Peter is, is he wants people to have confidence in the gospel and in the word so that they are able to discern the false teaching, which is what 2 Peter chapter 2 is all about. False teaching was plaguing the church, and he wanted them to grow in discernment so they were able to smell out to detect false teaching and avoid it because it would lead them into spiritual decline. And the only way we can know that is by knowing the Word of God. Do, do you have a plan to take in God's Word? Listen, we, we could talk about strategies for Bible reading now. I don't think that's the purpose of this message. But let me just say, let me just pump you with confidence. You know how to plan. You know how to plan for hunting season. You know how to plan for your TV shows. You know how to binge on Netflix so you can plan and binge. We can plan and binge on the Word of God. And listen, don't think that this is unopposed. Remember, we have to strive. We have to fight. That we're not playing tiddlywinks here. This is a spiritual battle. And so every time you pick up the Word of God to take it in, there will be forces coming against you to try and dissuade you, the weakness of your own residue of your flesh and a spiritual enemy that wants to discourage you. And so let's not be wimpy Christians. Let's now realize that, you know what? When I get up in the morning and I try and run 10 miles, I know that eventually it's going to get hard. Well, it's the same way when we're taking in God's Word. It's opposed by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so go into that now, knowing that it's going to be a fight. And saddle up next to older Christians who've done it well. Take somebody to coffee or lunch or breakfast between now and January and get strategies. Do some work to make this a habit in your life. Saturate your life with the Bible. Truth number four that helps us to grow in grace all through Second Peter is live in light of eternity, knowing that you and everyone around you will live forever. Look at Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Remember, we looked at this last week, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus, thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? In other words, we're going towards the return of Christ. And we are to live... Peter asked the question, in light of that, what sort of people ought you to be? You should be people who are ready for that day. And implicit in that is that God wants to use our lives, dear ones, to help other people be ready for that day as well. I love that question that Jonathan heard asked by his college pastor 
is what, 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 what do you want your life to be about? Well, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was this question really that, is, 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 that must come out of this view of the coming of the Lord that we will stand before him. What will we say? What did we do with our lives? What did we do? Were we ready for that day? And in the ordinariness of our lives, it doesn't mean that you need to be a church planter or a missionary or in vocational ministry. The vast majority of us will not be. But what will our lives be about? Was I ready to meet Jesus? And did I help other people get ready to meet Jesus? That's what's going to be asked of every Christian. That's your mission. And what a time to live. What a joy to be about is the king's mission. And then five, and this is not specifically mentioned, fifth and finally, it's not specifically mentioned in 2 Peter, but I think it is implicit all throughout the New Testament, really the whole Bible. And I don't think any of this really can be done unless, it cannot be done clearly biblically unless five is true, and it is to plant your life in a faithful local church. A faithful local church. Look at First Peter. We're going reaching back into First Peter now. Look at what Peter says about, about living in community. He says that there's elders over you that are going to care for you. Look at First Peter 5, verse 1. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So there's little local flocks that these elders were responsible for, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now this is written to elders in the local church, but in order for this to be lived out by these elders, implicit in this is this local congregation that they are responsible for, that they know they're responsible for, and these people know that they are responsible for. So how can verse, verses 1 through 5 of chapter 5 even be realized apart from a group of local Christians deciding to do life together? Look at chapter 2 of 1 Peter, ch- chapter 2. Verses 4 and 5, he says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Well, how can a local Christian do that? In a sense, globally, universally, we're part of the church of Christ with all those that name Jesus, but it's not possible to actually live out that verse unless we are part of a local church. And so if you've been here for a while and nobody knows your name and you have not been to the membership class of this church, the elders don't know you, we're not responsible for you, you need to change that. If you're listening online and you're just an anonymous virtual Christian, that's not good for your spiritual health. It's not even remotely biblical. And if you are a Christian that is part of this church, and for whatever spiritual reasons you have drifted from close connection with this church, I'm calling you back. Your life is to be part of a local, unspectacular, ordinary hard to be around local church 
But the problem sometimes with American Christians, because we are apathetic and because we're lazy and we're addicted to aesthetics, we jump around from place to place. And we never actually do the hard work of applying the New Testament scriptures about community because we just bounce around. Or we live on the edge of the church maybe that we joined. And we don't really let our gifts be used for the glory of God. Friends, don't do that. It's terrible for you. And then, then we stand before the Lord someday. And, and what will be our plea? Well, you know, our, I went to the membership class. Or I was kind of connected to that local church. And, you know, I'm just going to have a loose connection with them. And, and, and your life will be full. You will make it into heaven if you're trusting in Jesus. But according to 1 Corinthians 3 that we read last week, your life will be full of wood, hay, and stubble, and it will not last. I don't want to bring hay bales with me when I stand before Jesus. Here, here I am. But my son, my son was a great athlete. And, and I have, you know, I went on all this, I had all these leisurely activities. So here, here, here Jesus here, what, what good is it? What good is it? You know, there's young people in this church who desperately need mentors in Christ. Some of you have the nicest houses and nobody's ever been in them. Open them to people. Open them to people that are not like you or from a different neighborhood. Let's Make our lives count in the local church. Here's what a faithful church should strive to be. Just a couple hyphenated phrases. I'm channeling my inner John Piper on this. If you've ever heard John Piper, he likes hyphenated phrases. A faithful church strives to be Christ-centered. We want to lift up Christ, not ourselves. We don't want to plaster our website with pictures of people who are looking cute on stage. Don't go to churches that make much of people and pastors. Go to churches that make much of Christ. We want to be gospel preaching. We want to make every teaching, every sermon ultimately about the good work of the Son. We want to connect all of the Bible to the good news of redemption. We want to be a full Bible teaching church. We don't want to omit hard doctrines. We don't want to skip over things. That's why we preach relatively most of the time through books of the Bible. We want to handle difficult texts. We want to be humble. We want to take in all of God's word. We want to teach the whole Bible. We don't want to bounce around to topics that will help us live pragmatic lives and have a better Tuesday. We want to understand the Bible and we want to apply the Bible to our lives, not apply our lives as we cherry pick occasional verses. And we want to be grace driven. We realize that we are fallen people and we are, although we are saved, we are still in process. And so we want this church, a faithful local church, is a place where it is okay to not be okay, where it's okay to be honest, where you can confess your sins and not worry about being scorned, where it's driven, it's fueled, it's saturated with the grace of God. But also that it's a place that takes sanctification and growth and holiness seriously. And so we want to put gracious pressure on one another to live as God has called us to live so we're grace-driven, but we're sanctification, growing in Christ, serious. 
And we want to be people that are mission-minded. We don't want to just build bigger buildings and have all these goofy little trinkets for ourselves. But we want to give money away. We want to come alongside young church plants like King Hill Church. And we want to see the glory of God go beyond these four walls. And we don't want to just have big buildings and big parking lots and all these cool things for ourselves so that we can pat ourselves on the back. We want to give ourselves away. We want to support pastors in India and Uganda and other strategic places where the Lord knits us together with gospel preaching churches. And on that day, we don't want to have a bunch of stuff and trinkets. We want our hands to be empty and we want God to say to us, well done, you were a good steward. We want to send couples out. We want to send people out from this church to plant churches, to go across the world, to be missionaries, and we want to just be missional people in our time and place. We want to think about our neighbors. We want to think about our children. We want to think about a city around us that needs Jesus. And we want to be good works pursuing. We want to seek to bring the kingdom of God to bear in all of our life. And we want to let our light shine as a city on a hill. And we're going to do all those things imperfectly. And when we do, we just want to kind of be gracious with each other. We want to give each other. We want to bear with each other, hope all things. And we want to keep doing it year after year. And the Lord will help us. And when a group of people, a grumpy, dusty, imperfect, ordinary group of people like us, commit to do that, you know what happens? Over time, we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord is pleased. And so now we come to this communion table to receive communion together. To look at our lives in light of this. To grow in this grace. And we grow, the primary way we grow, remember to remember the gospel, is to remember what Jesus has done for us. And that's why the Lord has instituted this meal that we would come and remember. We take the bread, which in our case is just a little wafer, and it becomes a symbol to cast our gaze to the body of Christ that was broken on the cross for our sins. And as we take in that bread, symbolizing His body, we realize that we can only be nourished by Jesus' work on the cross, by the bread that has come down from heaven for us. And then as we take the cup, we remember that this little cup of juice is a symbol of the new cup in His blood that was spilled for us, that Jesus' blood has, for those that are trusting in Him, washed us as white as snow. And we, as we come to this meal this spiritual meal, we are nourished afresh as we remember the gospel, as we examine our lives in light of it, as we find ourselves inevitably falling short, but we come to the grace that is given in the meal to be nourished, to be refreshed, and to be reconciled, restored afresh to God. Not that we need to be saved again, but we are nourished by our fresh realization of all that God has done for us in Christ. And so this meal that we are about to receive together is a meal for believers. If you're not a member of this church, but you're a 
a Bible-believing member of another church, you're welcome to come to this meal with us. If you're not a believer in Jesus, you shouldn't do this. I'm so glad you're here, but you shouldn't come and receive this meal with us because you don't yet believe these things, and we don't want you to confess something, which is what we're doing when we take this bread and this cup, that you don't yet believe. And so it's more than appropriate for you to stay in your seat as the rest of us come. Let's now examine ourselves. And let's grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus as we receive the bread and the cup together. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this glorious letter. May we grow as a result of it. May we remember that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. May we strive to apply the gospel May we saturate our lives with the Bible. May you help us discern error. May we work hard. May we be ready for that day and may we plant our lives in a local church. And may you use our lives for your glory and for our joy and for the good of others around us. And may your people be nourished as we come to this table this morning. And I pray it all in Jesus' name.